morning. I'm definitely missing a few today. Let's go before the Lord in, the Lord in prayer. Lord, we uh, ask for mercies for those who are traveling and uh, that can't be here today. For any who may be under the weather as well, we pray for mercies for all of them. And um, pray for anybody that's traveling this afternoon or tomorrow as well. And uh, we ask for a blessing upon the reading of your word and on the message this morning for all of us that we all, myself included, would put it into practice and uh, see the fruit in our lives through your spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So we all know that Jesus uh, was born of the Virgin Mary and therefore has no earthly father. But does anyone know of who in the Bible has no father or mother at all? Let's see some smiles. No one? Well, the Bible tells us that Joshua was the son of none. <laughs> Sorry, that's one of my dad's favorite Bible dad joke. So I, uh, he's got many. I will only give you that one. You probably can't handle much more than that at one time. Uh, but please turn to the book of Joshua. Book of Joshua, and we're going to go all the way to the end. Uh, the last two chapters. I've got a lot of reading this morning, uh, but I think it's worth it to go through. And uh, kind of hit a, a recap of the whole Bible or the whole um, story of Joshua. I'm finding my Bible here. I'm going to do a sword drill or something. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and Jane. Right. And actually, uh, Ethan, would you do me a favor and grab this um, bench here and just put it right here as you set up? I meant to do that earlier. So I gave this message, I'll, I'll be honest, um, it was one of the first messages I gave at our chapel. Um, years ago, and um, I think kind of revisiting Joshua and, and looking at um, kind of the themes there, I, I really kind of reawakened in me some of the things that I think the Lord would have us pull from that, and um, I really find that there, there's a lot, obviously, to take. I, I think it's just a really fun book to read. Um, there's obviously a lot of sadness in it, and some really serious things happen, but it's just fun, especially as a young man, like reading about the battles and, and stuff and taking um, taking those stories and, and, and kind of revisiting them as an adult and, you know, and kind of more serious. I know uh, for those of you here, Micah talked a lot about Noah uh, and his message um, that we had at the annex over there and kind of how like kids stories, you know, they take things and they kind of simplify it and make it kind of silly almost. Um, but we have, um, there's a real serious in that, right? So you have to, you got to be careful not to oversimplify things. Um, but it's good to have kids learn early on these stories. Um, so again, I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard here. Um, as you follow along with me, please, in Joshua chapter 22, or 23, I'm sorry. And so let me, before we start, let me just set a little bit of a setting here. There's not a lot of details about what we're going to see here, but we know that Joshua is at the end of his life, right? And we'll talk a little bit of a recap of what happens in the book of Joshua in his lifetime. 
Um, but just know that he's, he's old at this time, okay? And, uh, but he's respected in the community, and he has done a lot in this time. And so he, like myself, is up here speaking, right? But unlike Joshua, I don't have a lot to claim in my history, right? But he's older, and so maybe he looks kind of frail, okay? It says he dies at uh, 110 years old, I believe. So we don't know how long this passes, but he's old. And, and so as people like see him and he gathers the people together, he has authority to do this. There's going to be generations who are listening to the words of Joshua who may not fully appreciate who he is and what he's done. Okay, and we see that today, okay, for all of you young people, you're going to hear about names of different preachers in the assemblies or even people like you hear about Billy Graham in the past and things like that, and you're thinking, okay, well, who, I don't know, those are just names to me, right? And there's going to be people in your lifetime that are going to be influential for, for your younger ones and people are like, well, I know, like I, I've heard this message from so-and-so and I've been to this conference and met these people, right? But every generation, you know, you don't really see the people from before, and, and so, so in this kind of in this context, I think of Joshua. You know, he's at the end of his life, and I kind of imagine he's a little weary. You know, this man is a warrior. He's a spiritual warrior. He's a physical warrior. He's done so much for the Lord, and he is faithful to the very end. However, uh, physically, I, I imagine he looks a little wearied, and I'm sure that there's a spiritual sense of kind of coming to a close of like I'm finally ending my journey on Earth. But he has a charge for people. Okay, and what I mean by a charge is, we talk about in the military, is that we get charged in the military when we're taking on responsibility. So they say, you know, you're charged with taking care of your subordinates. You're charged with, with executing the orders of the people appointed over there. Like you are charged with these things. Okay, and so when I thought about a, a message, and I need to turn this on, or am I good? Okay, when I thought about a, a, a title for this message, I thought, you know, that, that maybe this would be, what has the Lord done for you? And then I, I kind of reevaluated. That might have been what I called it years ago, but I, I think I've since changed this. And my teachers in the room helped me out here, but I believe when you, I learned this years ago in a Becca curriculum, when you diagram your sentences uh, you know, you have to find the subject of an English sentence, you know, and the verb and all that. But when the sentence, sentence is imperative, the subject is you. All right? Does that sound right? So when the sentence like, go get the cat off the counter, or please shut the door, or do, do this or do that, the name of the person isn't in the sentence, but is assumed that the subject of the sentence is you, or it's the person it's directed it toward. And so I just kind of, if there's a message here, uh, a title of this message, I think is, it's not what has the Lord done for you, but it is remember what the Lord has done for you. It's imperative. It's a, it's a command or a charge, right? And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not telling you, but I believe that's what God's telling us, myself included, that it's remember what I have done for you. Think about these things. And, of course, there's other things that follow. So let's get into it. Uh, Joshua chapter 23. A long time after the Lord had given Israel rest from all the enemies around them, Joshua was old, getting on in years. So Joshua summoned all Israel, including its elders, leaders, judges, and officers, and said to them, I am old, getting on in years. And you have seen for yourselves everything the Lord your God did to all these nations on your account, because 
It was the Lord your God who was fighting for you. See, I have allotted these remaining nations to you as an inheritance for your tribes, including all the nations I have destroyed from the Jordan westwards of the Mediterranean Sea. The Lord your God will force them back on your account and drive them out before you so that you can take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. Be very strong and continue obeying all that is written in the book of the law of Moses so that you do not turn from it to the right or to the left and so that you do not associate with these nations remaining among you. Do not call on the names of their gods or make an oath to them. Do not worship them or bow down to them. Instead, remain faithful to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. The Lord has driven out great and powerful nations before you and no one is able to stand against you this day. One of you routed a thousand because the Lord your God was fighting for you as he promised. So be very diligent to love the Lord your God for your own well-being. For if you turn away and cling to the rest of these nations remaining among you, and if you intermarry or associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will not continue to drive these nations out before you. They will become a snare and a trap for you, a scourge for your sides and thorns in your eyes until you disappear from the good land the Lord has given you. I am now going the way of all the earth, and you know with all your heart and all your soul that none of the good promises the Lord your God made to you has failed. Everything was fulfilled for you. Not one promise has failed. Since every good thing the Lord your God promised you has come about, so he will bring on you every bad thing until he has annihilated you from this good land the Lord your God has given you. If you break the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and worship other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly disappear from this good land he has given you. Next chapter. Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem and summoned Israel's elders, leaders, judges, and officers. They presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord the God of Israel says, long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the region beyond the Euphrates River, led him throughout the land of Canaan. Remember, this is God speaking now. And multiplied his descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I gave the hill country of Seir to Esau as a possession. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron. I plagued Egypt by what I did there. And afterward, I brought you out. When I brought you, your fathers, out of Egypt and reached the Red Sea, the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen as far as the sea. Your fathers cried out to the Lord, so he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, Egyptians and brought the sea over them, engulfing them. Your own eyes saw what I did to Egypt, and after that you lived in the wilderness a long time. Later I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived beyond the Jordan. They fought against you, but I handed them over to you. You possessed their land, and I annihilated them before you. Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent out to fight against Israel. He sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to curse you, but I would not listen to Balaam. Instead, he repeatedly blessed you, and I delivered you from his hand. You then crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho, the people of Jericho, as well as the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites fought against you, but I handed them over to you. I sent the hornet ahead of you and drove it out and drove it out of the two Amorite kings before you. It was not by sword or bow I gave you a land that you did not labor for, cities you did not build, though you live in them. You were eating from vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. 
Therefore, fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods of your fathers. Worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship Yahweh. But if it doesn't please you to worship Yahweh, this is Joshua now speaking. Choose for yourself today the one you will worship. The gods your fathers worship beyond the Euphrates River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. As for me and my family, we will worship Yahweh. The people replied, we will not. We will certainly not abandon the Lord to worship other gods. For the Lord our God brought us out and our fathers and out of the land of Egypt and out of the place of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He also protected us all along the way we went and among all the people whose land we traveled through. The Lord drove out before us all peoples, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will worship the Lord because he is our God. But Joshua told the people, you will not be able to worship Yahweh because he is a holy God. He is a jealous God, and he will not remove your transgressions and sins if you abandon the Lord and worship foreign gods. He will turn against you, harm you, and completely destroy you after he has been good to you. No, the people answered Joshua, we will worship the Lord. Joshua then told the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you yourselves have chosen to worship Yahweh. We are witnesses, they said. Then get rid of the foreign gods that are among you and offer your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. So the people said to Joshua, we will worship the Lord our God and obey him. And on that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people at Shechem and established a statute and ordinance for them. Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. He also took a large stone and set it up there under the oak next to the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, you see this stone? It will be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words that the Lord said to us, and it will be a witness against you so that you will not deny your God. Then Joshua sent the people away, each to his own inheritance. After these things, the Lord's servant Joshua, son of Nun, died at the age of 110 years old. They buried him on the allotted territory, territory at Timnasserah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gesh. Israel worshipped Yahweh throughout Joshua's lifetime and during the lifetimes of the elders who outlived Joshua and who had experienced all the works Yahweh had done for Israel. Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the parcel of the land Jacob had purchased. From the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred kesetas. It was an inheritance for Joseph's descendants. And Eleazar, son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Kibia, which had been given to his son Phineas in the hill country of Ephraim. I know it's a lot of reading, but I think the words a lot there just speak for themselves. Again, the setting is that Joshua is at the end of his career, if you will, of being a mighty leader for the people of Israel and a warrior and a champion. And I sense his frustration because he's not a man that uh, is not observant, right? I mean, keep in mind, he lived amongst these people. Many of these them probably knew him personally, right? And so he's meeting with them. And he's telling them the words of the Lord and, and what's been given to him to declare to them. And we see in this in the in the second chapter uh, twenty four that we read it. They are like we remember, right? He's like thinking, oh, look look at all the things God has done for you. And that's what I would have for us today is like, what has God done for us? What has God done for you in your personal life? Because it it seems to be that there's a connection between their obedience to God and the proximity, if you will, how, how close they are 
to the blessings that God has given them and understanding the connection between these are the things we have because God has given it to us. And then there's another side that Joshua talks about, right? And we see that in his words here. And we see that in, in the story of Joshua throughout the rest of the chapters, which is keep in mind, there's a connection between not obeying God and the punishments that come from that. And some key things that I, I noticed reading again this, this passage is what's really interesting is that words said to Joshua in the first chapter from God himself, Joshua almost verbatimly repeats decades later. Okay, so let's go back to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, and read verse, no, we'll read starting to the first verse there. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I am giving the Israelites. I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. Your territory will be from the wilderness and Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates River, all the land of the Hittites and west of the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as an inheritance. Above all, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or left, so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth where you are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. And so Joshua said that very thing, right? Almost word for word in his address back in chapter 23. He said, verse 6, Be very strong and continue all obey, obeying all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Do not turn from it to the left or right so that you do not associate these nations remaining among you. He goes on to say, one, uh, verse 10, One of you rather a thousand, because the Lord your God was fighting for you as he promised. Right. So Joshua remembered the words that God had told him. And when you look in the story of Joshua, you see that. It's just a careful um, unveiling of God saying, if you do this, cause and effect. If you obey me, I will fight for you. And if you don't, there will be punishment. Now, disclaimer here. We, by God's grace and the work of Jesus on the cross, are not under the law. Okay? So I know we're going to be talking about the law, Moses' law. Okay? That's Old Testament. We, because of what Jesus has done, those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus as the only way to salvation, through the work of the cross, we are not bound by the law. We see that in the New Testament, right? However, we also see uh, in the New Testament, uh, in the very same book that tells us that, and many others, that what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin, knowing grace may abound? No, God forbid it, right? And we also know that in Romans, it talks about there's, you know, what 
there's there's a connection between sin and darkness. There's a connection between sin and really suffering, right? And even as Christians, if we partake in sin, we will therefore partake in suffering, and there will be a lack of reward, and we will see we will miss out on opportunities for God. And we will bring upon ourselves natural suffering that comes with sin. That's the way it works. Right? So through grace and mercy, we have that, and God spares us. But we also will bring upon it ourselves suffering if we partake in sin. And that's something else I think we should take away this morning. That's the connection there, right? And I know I've, I don't want to beat a dead horse as it is, but we talked about it in First Timothy, one of my favorite verses, right? Second half of that verse is, is that godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come, right? Godliness is good for you. Joshua even says that. He says it's good for you. Like it's beneficial now in this life. And you have to have what I call Hebrews 11 vision, right? Hebrews 11, what does it say? It says that he saw the promises far off. If you go there, you don't have to, but real quick, I'll read a verse there. Hebrews 11, Joshua is not mentioned by name in Hebrews 11, right? We call it kind of like the, the Hall of Fame of um, faith. Um, yeah, it's like the Hall of Fame of for faith. You know, it's, it's God's, uh, you know, mighty champions of faith. And while he's not, you know, you have Abel, you have Moses, Noah, but... Here down in verse 30 of Hebrews 11, um, it says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after being circled by the Israelites for seven days. By faith Rahab, the prostitute, received the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. And he goes on to say, What more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell. The author of Hebrews is saying, uh, Time's too short for me to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David, Samuel and all the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, goes on, tamed promises, right? So he's saying there's 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 some things I, I, I for people I want to talk about, I don't have time, but but here the, the very actions of Joshua are echoed even in the Hebrews 11, right? That having that faith, so that Hebrews 11 vision is seeing the promises afar off. In other words, not looking at what's in front of you, that's easy, which can be taking the easy road, which is sin, giving into the flesh, not not doing the things that God would have us do, but instead taking the easy path, right? Having the pro- seeing the promises far off, or Hebrews eleven vision, if you will, is is seeing those things for what they are, seeing things the way God sees it, which is what is right is right, what is good is good, and what is evil is evil, and understanding that there's a connection. Interestingly enough, very rare do I find that somebody gets up on a stage or is on a podcast or whatever and telling me something I really don't know, especially when it comes to how to live your life or something, right? I mean, you can learn a fact, maybe, about something and not, oh, that's cool, you know, the speed of sound or whatever, you know, whatever, you know, some science fact, cool. But normally those things, you learn them and it doesn't, like, change your life, Right? But when you have those moments, those wow moments of like, that's, wow, I never thought of it that way. It's usually something of perspective. It's really taking something you already know and putting them into a new, a new thought pattern, 
right? Some, you know, a new, somebody sharing a new experience, right? And something about it grips you and holds you and you remember that. I have messages I, I remember from conferences, from people speaking at our assembly, from other types of churches, from messages I've heard online, wherever it might be, right? People, conversations with just somebody in a hallway. You know, those things stick out to me. Why, I don't know. But I just know that something about it stuck with me that, that was memorable. But a lot of times it's nothing new, right? And by now, I think everybody that's at least old enough, mature enough to pay attention, there's nothing really I have to, to tell you or you know that you don't already know. You know what's right. You know what's wrong. You know God exists. But all of us, and we have a whole book here of Joshua telling us, these people forget. It's like they don't actually forget. They just choose to forget. They just get lazy. They just let it slide. A really cool thing I noticed about, uh, as I was kind of skimming through each chapter of Joshua again, kind of going over and looking at the different connections, they there's some really interesting, uh, I never picked up on, there's a lot about rocks in that book. It talks a lot about rocks. I brought some rocks today from my um, from my backyard, and I, I even tested them out. They're probably look kind of silly. So if anybody looked out their backyard, like, why is this guy stacking rocks in his backyard? They kept falling over, and I'm trying to find more flat rocks. They're not rubber rocks, so okay, that worked out pretty good. Okay, but he talks a lot about rocks. Everybody see that kind of? Here's your Oscar. Got my Oscar over here, my Dundee Award, my rocks. Okay. So some just a quick a few things. You don't have to turn here, but there there's several instances in Joshua where there's rocks. Uh, there's a stone memorial that Joshua says to erect after they cross the River Jordan. Okay, so here's this perfect visual of the Ark of the Covenant. With God's people literally leading them physically. They're able to see it. God's leading us. And it says as the rivers are coming, uh, the, the waters are like stopping at their feet. They're changing direction. Doing whatever they need to do to help them cross the River Jordan, the people of Israel, safely. Right? It's a miracle. It's just reminiscent of what happened you know, when they got out of Egypt. Right? God is performing a miracle. They can see that it's God. It's not them. It lines up a lot with Joshua says in the end of the book. Right? That would have been a very powerful thing to see if you were going through and experiencing that experience, right? And so what does he do? He says, well, it's cool that we just experienced it. We're going to set up on the other side of the river. We're going to set up some rocks, all right? Nothing fancy, but something that you know. If you went and saw this when you're walking, you know somebody did that, right? Maybe a chimp could do it, but other than a chimp, and there's probably none of those in my not, you know, a human did that. It didn't just stack that way. Rocks don't just stack in water four high, okay? And so, I mean, they were a little bit better than that. It says they took 12 stones, and they, they were pretty, they were hauling these giant stones. They put, you know, maybe that's what Stonehenge is. I don't know. I'm just kidding. But, you know, but they put these big rocks up, something that would stay on there for a while, and then it says, when your children go to ask about this, you will tell them why it's there. This is a monument, a memorial for something that God did for you. So he's like saying, hey, this is important. We need to remember it as a people. I think of the verse in Psalm, chapter 19, verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. 
So you have Joshua 1, 8, it tells us, you know, the book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, shall meditate on it day and night. We have other Bible verses talking about hiding the word in your heart. And then we have this message of Joshua telling us, remember what the Lord has done for you. Another thing with rocks. Uh, the walls of Jericho, okay? Might be a little bit of a reach, but stones of Jericho. God toppled them over, right? They, it says it laid Jericho flat. So here you have the enemies who are not supposed to be there. God, you know, he they, they built their man-made wall that they built rocks. God tears it down, right? So now there's this visual of marching around the walls and it falls down. And now these rocks that man had built are laid to waste, right? And then you have a bad memorial, or negative, I should say. So for those of you who don't remember, when Jericho fell, right? Blew the trumpets, the walls fell, Rahab was, she had helped them, so she was spared as promised. But then there was a special command, and it wasn't always this way, right? But it was very clear that they were not to take anything from the city. And a man named Achan, he took things, treasures. He even confessed, he said he saw them, they looked lovely. Just like, I like them. Right? But he took them and nobody knew, or at least Joshua didn't know, and he hid them. I don't know what he was planning to do with them, but he hid them. And Joshua went to fight the next battle with the people, and they lost. And up until this point, they've been on a good roll, and they lost. And Joshua, this is a moment of a little bit of a, a lapse, you know, but he, God had promised him victory. Right? God had said, I'm going to give you victory. And Joshua at this point is like, we're doing good. I've been reading my Bible. I've been doing, I've been, you know, the men here, we were, I've been watching out for them. We're all doing good. And they go up and they get beat. And he comes back and he says, he falls on his face. And he's like, God, why? We did everything right. You've abandoned us. We, now you got us this far and then we lost. You might as well just, just let us die in Egypt. And God says, literally, like, pick your face up off the ground. Stop crying. I did. I lived up to my part of the deal. I've always have. But there's someone among you who is taken from the spoils of Jericho. They've sinned against me. And so he's like, oh, okay, I get it now. All right, so he goes back, and, and Achan comes up, and he does confess. It doesn't really say how they found him. It just says they, they kind of like narrowed it down to who he is. Maybe they told him. Maybe God cast lots with the priest. I don't know. But they brought him for him, and he says, yeah, I did this thing. Here's why I did it. And he says, "You're okay, you will now be punished. And the people, as, as brutal as it is, the people took Achan and his family, and they took rocks, and they killed them with rocks. Publicly executed them, right? Another public visual for the people to see. Sin was among you. You chose to sin. It must be purged. God does not have uh, association with this. We need to get rid of it. And they killed them. And then they burned them. And then the rocks they burnt them on, they left there. And they named it. And they, that was a monument to not to sin, but to understand that this was an event that people needed to be reminded of the nastiness of sin and that it had to be cut out from the people violently. And so that was a memorial, right? And they used rocks. They killed them with rocks. They burned them on rocks. And they left those rocks there as a reminder. 
Then there were uncut stones where it says that they, they had uncut stones where they inscribed the, uh, Moses' law and then Joshua read them word for word to the people. Okay, So then we have these other rocks it talks about. They took the stones and they wrote, wrote the word of God on those rocks. right? So again, another just interesting fact that they had so much to do about rocks. And then uh, eventually, uh, later on in the book, it says they rolled stones over to block kings. They used these rocks as a tool to actually block the five kings in the cave after they chased them there. Um, and they, they blocked them in. So a lot of rocks in Joshua, okay? But going back to his farewell address, Joshua at the end of his life is, obviously, he knows that the people are having an issue with idols, idolatry. Right? They have people that live among them who have brought their ideas, their, their false gods in with them, right? And Joshua knows that this is kind of bubbling up a little bit. And that's why he says, when they say, oh, we will obey God, we're going to do what he says, and, you know, we, we remember, and they say, we remember these things. We know, right? Some of them were there, maybe. And then and then some of them that weren't there, they knew people that were, you know, but there were clearly a lot, most of them were there experiencing these things, seeing what God had done for them. You know, and he kind of throws it back and is like, no, you're not. You can't, you can't do these things. You can't honor God. You can't put your faith in God because you're already putting your faith in idols. I know this. I'm your neighbor. I watched you walk over here on this journey to come to this place for me. It's like, I, I know what's in your homes. And they're like, yeah, you're right. But, but we're going to do it. And so he's then let these stones be a reminder. Here we go again. Let's build a monument, not one of, of made like a golden calf. Another interesting fact, it says in uh, when Achan had taken the the things, it says, uh, verse, I think it's chapter 7 here, at the end of chapter 7, Achan had um, taken those things that was found, the very uh, last verse, 26 of chapter 7, after he had been, they burned their bodies, threw stones on them, and raised them over a large pile of rocks that remain still today, talking about Achan and his family. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. My Bible had a footnote. That burning anger is the same phrase used when it talked about the golden calf in Exodus, and the same phrase used when it talked about um, them, the sins of Baal pure, right? So the Balaam and, and they were turning to the items of Baal, the idols of Baal. Um, God had a burning anger, it says. This is not, he's, it's not just anger, it's a burning anger. He hates idolatry. We know this. And the people were turning to idolatry. And so, just as before, God was not going to let this slide. And so that's why I had this, this kind of little reminder, right? You know, and what does that mean for us? What is, you know, we don't really think, oh, I've never built an idol and worshipped gold. Gold's not even that cool anymore. It's all about platinum, you know. It's all about chromium or uh, tungsten. I don't know, you know, like gold's lame, you know. But, but we, but what do we, what do we, what do we idolize? Well, we idolize a lot of things, right? It could be materialism. We have a new car. It could be uh, the office. Not the show, but I mean, it could be the show, it could be TV shows, but it could be The Office. I mean, I struggle with this one, right? You can idolize things that are normally not that bad. You know, you just go to work. 
but we'll, you know, maybe we care more about the reputation of man. We know that's not what God wants, right? We should be careful about our image in the sense of not bringing about, um, you know, slander or, or uh, being of a, of a reputation that is um, not good for a Christian. You know, we should want people to like us. That's okay. But not in a way that we're obsessed over the, the praise of mankind over the righteousness of God and what God wants for us, right? So you can think of a million things that could be idolatry. But it's interesting because I think about a golden statue. I think about um, King Nebuchadnezzar, you know, and wrecking this, this golden image, right? So large that people, and they play the music and they looked up at it. You know, and what does God use in these? I mean, God, there were times he used some precious things, you know, some 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 gold and things and, and some intricacies for the temple and stuff. But mostly he used plain things, right? And all of Joshua, they just took some rocks, right? Because it wasn't about the rocks. It wasn't about people, oh, we, we want to pray to the rocks. No, it's not about the rocks. You know, like this, this is a rock too. Gold is rock. This is really gold, but, you know. Gold is rock. Most of the material, everything on this earth is dust, right? But it's about the story behind it. The rocks are to remind you of what God did for you on that day. Or to remind you that there's punishment when there's sin. There's ugliness. So God used these rocks in the story of Joshua to help people be reminded Again, I just think that Joshua was passionate like you would expect any godly leader, man or woman, right? You think of Esther and how much she loved her people and wanted them protected. You think about any other great leader, Moses, you know, there's a real burning heart for his people and but also the righteousness of God. And it says Here's the here's the good thing about the story of Joshua. It ends happy. It says that the elders of people, the people, they listened to Joshua. It actually worked, you know, like, I mean, through God, or God, I should say, through Joshua, he brought about a righteousness, brought about people, you know, lining themselves with what God wanted. And so he all he did was tell them, hey, remember these things. We put these rocks there. We have these stories. Tell your children. And again, the, the thought is that there's somebody like, who's this guy? You know what I mean? And, but it's so easy. We just forget. Because what does it say? If you go over just a couple chapters, what's the next book? Huh? Judges. And right off the bat, in chapter 1, it says, after the death of Joshua. And in fact, uh, I think even a better example would be chapter 2. Going down to verse 6, chapter 2, Judges. Previously, when Joshua had sent the people away, the Israelites had gone to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. People worship the Lord throughout Joshua's lifetime and during the lifetime of the elders who outlived Joshua. Which backs up with what we had already read in Joshua. They had seen all the Lord's great works he had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnath Paris in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. 
That whole generation was also gathered to their ancestors. After them, another generation rose up who did not know the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. What does verse 11 say? The Israelites did that or did what was evil in the Lord's sight or did that which was right in their own eyes is what I think what the King James says. And, and it says it several times, if I recall. I haven't read Judges in a while. But that's like, that's the tagline for Judges. And the Israelites did that which is right in their own eyes. And it makes a connection here, interestingly enough. It says, and the new generations don't remember what the Lord God did. And they went astray. And Joshua had no real successor. Right? He didn't have anybody, somebody really godly to lead them. They get the judges, but where's the continuity there? People forget. Children forget. I mean, one generation away, the parents are, I don't know what's going on here, but does that not happen today? Does that not happen in our own lifetime? As a kid, I remember having a simple prayer. I'll, I'll kind of wrap it up with this. As kids, you know, you kind of, it's, it's fun to watch, you know, if you, if you have kids that are, you know, at least professing, you know, at a young age and they're praying and, you know, teaching these th- them these things and they, and they just have such an innocence about it. You know, everything's important to them. But then in that, in that same breath, they're like, hey, Lord, you know, help me with this, you know, help me win my soccer game or whatever. And you're like, oh, you know, why, why are you bothering God with that? You know, you might think in your mind, like, oh, this is, this is really cool. You know what I mean? They're talking to God. Talking to Jesus like a friend, you know, they just want to share in their life with them. That's that's pretty that's pretty cool. And I remember being a kid, and I remember thinking, I don't I think I, I lost a pair of sunglasses on the beach, and I'm running around. And I just wanted to find it before, you know, probably yelling at me, honking the horn, like Michael, we gotta go. And I was like, God, you know, where are my sunglasses? Please help me find my sunglasses. And then I'm like, put my hand down on like a bunch of clothing that I probably should have put away. And then you know, I felt something that, like in between the stack of clothes was my sunglasses. And I'm like, I'm 31 years old and I remember this and I was probably, you know, 13 something, right? And I just thought, that's cool, man. That's, that's cool. Like, God, help me find my sunglasses. You know, and I have other times in my life too where I thought, you know, things that were more important where I prayed about and, and seen what God's done. I've seen real change in my life. I've seen things God's done for me. But yet, would you believe it? At, you know, 19 years old, I'm not sure God's real. You know, I'm, I'm questioning myself in my, you know, early college, like one semester of college days, you know, where I, you know, I'm challenging the, the existence of the creator. And why is that? You know, 10 years prior, I'm, you know, everything matters, you know, and, and I'm praying to God about simple things and seeing that. And, and I'm seeing that, that, you know, it's real to me, you know, but we do that. We have minds that just forget things. And so I challenge you, I charge you to remember what the Lord has done. Think about things God is doing in your life now. Think about what he's done in the past. Just open your eyes. Look for encouraging things. And that's why we need each other. That's why we're here. Because we forget. Miss one Sunday, you know, we forget. And not that it's about just being here. But if you miss a small amount of time around people who are encouraging you, you don't really find it anywhere else. They're not talking about God across the street, over there, or that way, or down on base. I mean, there's, there's a few, but that's where we forget, you know? So we have to be encouraging to each other, reminding it. And when you see other people, you watch their testimony, and you know, whether it be their testimony of coming to the love of the Lord, or just 
something that happened to them that week or they delivered, that's encouraging. It's like God is working. It's just because you don't see it here or there. God is working everywhere. And the only time he's not working is where you're choosing to not let him work in your life. So we have to be reminded. We have to remind ourselves. We have to get in the words that says we should, you know, it should be with us at all times. We should be reading it, understanding it, committing it to heart. And um, not, you know, we should be abiding by it. Right? There's, there's a lot of things we should be doing. It's not about don't do this, don't do that. There's a little bit of that in there, but we should be doing what it says. And there's a connection between that and being successful. Not financially. Yes, no, maybe. That's not what it's about. You read in Hebrews 11, there were, it goes on to say, there are those who were tortured. They did not have the promise fulfilled on earth. They died. But don't worry, they knew. We know that they knew what they were getting. Some get it here on earth. Some are delivered from the fires after saying no to the golden image. Shadrach, Meshach, and Benegar, right? Some aren't. Some aren't delivered by the the lions. Some are dying today in North Korea for the for the gospel. But don't worry, they know they are going to receive the promises. But that's what we have to look to. We have to commit that to our hearts and our minds. So remember what God has done has done for you and what He's doing for you, and encourage each other in those things. And follow after His Word and avoid the pitfalls of sin and the flesh and idolatry, and uh, God will reward that. He always does. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word. We thank you for the godly example that Joshua set for us and the many others. We ask that you would help equip us with um, having a good memory and just looking to you and looking for ways to be encouraged and encourage each other on what you're doing in our lives. We know you work miracles. We know you work in people's hearts. And to, and to eradicate sin and, and take people who are, are foolish and like sheep going astray and changing their ways and having them seek after you, that's the greatest miracle. And we, we look for that and we, we, we thank you for what you've done so far in each of our lives. And we ask that you continue to do so and help us to bring that about in others through your through your son, Jesus. And um, we just ask that you also help us to stay in the word and, and not depart from it to the left or right, as it says, and to um, just follow after righteousness, call what is evil, evil, and what is good, good. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus' name. Amen.